I just, uh, as I was about to come up, I just, God, not me, God really wants to bless each one of you this morning. So would you one more time, just close your eyes, put out your hands, and you know, something I learned uh, this week, I had a, a breakthrough session, and it's important that you say it out loud. So I just want you to repeat after me, say, Father, I receive every blessing you want to give to my heart this morning. Thank you, Father. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that deserves a hand clap. Um, I love jokes, so I have one joke here I wanted to share if that's okay. So one night, a lady came home from her weekly prayer meeting. She found she was being robbed. And she shouted out, Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized and your sins will be forgiven. Well, the robber quickly gave up and the lady rang the police. While handcuffing the criminal, (laughs) the policeman said, gee, mate, you gave up pretty easily. How come you gave up so quickly? The robber said, she said she had an axe and two thirty-eights. I know we have a lot of gun lovers here, so I thought you'd appreciate that one. Uh, I had no clue what a thirty-eight was when I saw that joke, and I looked it up. It's a pretty burly gun, it seems. I think a thirty-eight could do some damage uh, from what I saw this morning. So, um, I want to take us back. Uh, actually, I don't know the exact date this happened, but it was probably 50, 60 years ago. I'm sure Pastor Rich would, re- as I'm confident he's heard this story. But let's go back 60, 70, 80 years to England. During a British conference on comparative religions, experts from around the world debated what, if any belief, was completely unique to the Christian faith. What was that belief that was completely unique to the Christian faith? So they began eliminating possibilities. Incarnation, God becoming flesh. Well, no, there were other religions that had different versions of God's coming in human forms. So they said that's not unique. I know, that one I didn't think was, uh, I thought that one was unique. Uh, but I guess it's, there's at least other religions that, that claim that. Resurrection, that's certainly unique. But again, other religions had accounts of return from the death, from death. Whether those were legitimate or not, they at least expressed that. The debate debate went on for a long time until C.S. Lewis, now he's the author of the Narnia series, which is most popular, but he also wrote Surprised by Joy, Mere Christianity, I believe one of the greatest uh, teachers and writers of the 20th century had a massive worldwide impact on Christianity. So C.S. Lewis wandered into the room and he said, what's the rumpus about? And he heard in reply what his colleagues were discussing, that, you know, what is Christianity's unique contribution among world religions? Lewis responded, oh, that's so easy. It's grace. It's grace. That's all he said. He didn't say another word. Aware of our inbuilt resistance to grace, Jesus would talk about it often. He described a world suffused with God's grace. 
you know, they, they went on to discuss what was Lewis Wright, all those at the conference. And they said, yeah, the notion of God's love coming to us free of charge, no strings attached, seems to go against every instinct of all humanity. The Buddhist eightfold path, the Hindu doctrine of karma, the Jewish covenant, or the Muslim code of law. Each of these offer in some way a way to gain approval. Only Christianity dares to make God's love 100% unconditional. Amen? Amen. So today, I, I want us to bring us back to the foundation of grace. You know, I, I get, you know, now that I'm on staff, I'm going to have more opportunities to preach, but as I've preached over the years, you know, often you probably hear a theme, at some point I bring up grace, and it's because it is the foundation Everything we can talk about in the Christian faith, from miracles to tongues to church life, all flows from the grace of God. And this morning, we sang a lot about the cross and the resurrection. And God's grace today, this morning, is still flowing from the cross and the resurrection. Yes, amen, amen. So I, I want to start, you know, again, maybe at first we're going we're gonna to do some basics, but man, my heart needs to be reminded of this. What is grace? You know, like a lot of other biblical words, it's, it's a hard, it can be a hard one to define. God's grace is his unmerited favor, goodness, and generosity. It's favor shown without regard to the merit of the one who receives it and in spite of what that same person deserves or has done. It's God's truly, truly unconditional love. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 are, are some of the most foundational verses in the Bible. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You see, Christianity is founded on grace. Our lives are founded on grace. Therefore, God gives us no opportunity to boast. We can't do .0000000001% boasting and it be grace. He leaves no room for, great, for, for boasting. And I believe even as spirit-filled, presence-loving, Jesus-loving believers, there's something called the law of sin and death that likes to sneak its way into our lives. And I think it's way more pervasive than maybe we realize. And that's why I feel such a fire to preach on grace, because I know it tries to creep in my life all the time. You see, grace plus law equals law. Grace plus law equals law, if you're mathematical like myself, okay? But grace plus no other contribution from man equals grace. Grace plus zero equals grace. And I think we need to be reminded of that because one of the enemy's number one, I would say actually his number one tactic that we don't talk about a lot, yet Paul talked about it continually in every single letter, was the law of sin and death that you can attain God's favor. 
you can walk in more miracles if you just do this, 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 and this. And we get our to-do lists and our strategies, and we try to add to what only God has done or can do. Trying to mix grace with any amount of human effort where we think we can merit it is like mixing oil and water. They, they're just not compatible. You see, grace is always a gift. So, gift language, right? Every time grace is mentioned, it's always right near the word gift. Gift, gift, gift. It's one of my favorite words in the whole Bible is gift. So, if I were to come up to Lolly, and I said, Lolly, you can have my watch. You can have it. It's totally free. But, wait a minute. Can you once a year out of the 365 days in the year, I want you to come over for two hours, that's it, and mow my front lawn. Would you be willing to do that? Okay. She is very loving. Thank you. Can I have my watch back? <laughs> oh, she's not mowing my lawn. The gift just became a purchase. No longer grace, if we're talking God's grace. And I want to make it that practical, that simple. Because we all understand gift, right? When you truly give a gift, if you have strings attached, is it really a gift? And you see, God's grace is pure gift. And we need to hear that. Because, I don't have you ever tried to give money to someone and they said, no, I can't receive that? Have you ever tried to bless someone? Isn't it hard? Or maybe yourself. Someone tried to bless your socks off and you just got in a fight with your spouse. Someone's trying to bless your socks off with words of encouragement or even, you know, maybe financial, and you know you have not been living like you should, and you feel what? A resistance, right? I don't deserve that. No, 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 no. But that is the ideal time to receive the gift. That is why we need God's grace, because if you're like me, do you ever feel unworthy or that you're struggling or that maybe, you know, you made some mistakes or you're not being the best you know, father, uh, husband, uh, pastor, whatever your role is. We need God's grace. We need his free gift. Not just when we came to Christ 70 years ago. It is fundamental. Every day we need his unmerited favor. And he's such a good father. He doesn't say, well, no, I gave you my love a month ago and that's enough. We sing it, but do we believe it? Your love never fails and never gives up, never runs out on me. That's, that's, that's our God. That's his heart. He gives and 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 he gave all the way up until the point of death. He did not spare his own life. And again, to make this clear, I think if one, one more verse to say, well, Matthew, is it that black and white? Because maybe there's some of you that are doubting because I'm getting a little too strong on grace. Let's go to Romans 11.6. Romans 11.6. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. One of the most clear statements in the whole Bible. I, rec I recommend you, you meditate and memorize that. That along with Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. If you ever doubt, oh, but, but there's my part. I, I got to do my part to receive his love. But I got to walk it out in just the right way. 
it ceases to be the grace of God as soon as you try to add. So I want to give a little background of how foundational grace is. Let's go to 1 Peter 10 and 11. As a heads up, I love the word of God. If you've known me for any little bit, there's going to be a lot of words. So if you do take notes, feel free to write these down, look at them later. If you want notes, I did not provide them because I figure if people really want them, they'll come to me. So if you come to me sometime in the next couple of days or week or next Sunday, I am going to print these up really nice, consolidated, but I'm going to ask folks to come to me and I would love to share these with you. Okay, 1 Peter 1, 10 through 11. 1 Peter 1, 10 through 11. This is the Apostle Peter. He wrote two letters, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. Okay, these are key verses on grace. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully. So the prophets, by the Spirit, were searching. And they were looking for two things. They were looking for a day and a person. A day and a person. See, all a prophecy can be summed up into a time that was coming and a person. Who prophesied of his grace that would come to you. They searched intently And they prophesied, when would this unmerited, ridiculous, over-the-top love come to God's people? Searching what and what manner of time the Spirit of Christ was in them, was indicating when, again, the time, he testified beforehand. The sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. You see, all the Old Testament was all leading up to the grace that would come to God's people both Jew and Gentile, the whole world. So again, those of you who've studied prophecy and you wonder what's the purpose of it, and I've, I've tried reading Jeremiah and this, and sometimes I get overwhelmed, and is this prophecy going to happen or did this happen? Apostle Peter, who spent three years with Jesus, anointed by the Holy Spirit, is writing God's word right now. We're reading it right now. All of it was summed up regarding the grace that was to come to you. And what was that grace? It was a time and a person, Jesus Christ. The sufferings of Christ, the cross. There's the grace of the cross. There's the unconditional love of the cross and the glories that would follow. We sang about his resurrection. There's the grace of the resurrected life. Do you see this? All prophecy spoke of, led up to that day and that person. Jesus fulfilled that day and was that grace. Let's go to 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 10. 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 10. And if you guys, if some of you were, were here for when I spoke on the Trinity, this is one of the verses I wanted to preach on, but I didn't have time. So I'm excited this morning. 2 Timothy 1, 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. How many times is that in the New Testament? A whole bunch. But according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Yes. Amen. That's good news. Before time began, this is the way I like to put it, there was a wave building. You know, when, whenever there's a major earthquake in the ocean, what happens? Always. A tsunami, if it's a big enough earthquake. 
And think about this. The Father, Son, and Spirit before time thought of each one of you. And before time began, this grace was like an ever-growing wave. And the culmination of that wave, all the prophets were, were, were kind of helping to speak to the wave that was growing, right? All the prophets were speaking. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and then in his death and resurrection, all the grace of God is poured out. And the tsunami is poured out. And you see, that wasn't a one-time event. See, his death and resurrection is not historical. It's not just mere history. But the grace that he poured out then is flowing right now and will for all of eternity. And all of eternity will be a celebration and a deeper revelation of the lamb and the lion. The lamb and the lion. The cross and the resurrection. For all of eternity, we will be enjoying and having an overwhelming we, we, we're, glory, glory, all power and honor and glory and holy, 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 holy. Because we're going to get a revelation again and again and again of the grace poured out in the cross. And the grace poured out in the resurrection. That's where we're headed. Amen. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. There came a moment when the tsunami hit my life. You all remember that day? You all remember that day? I remember when I was 13 and I was broken and filled with worry and, and, and there was dysfunction in my family and I began reading the word and it wasn't just thoughts on a page but the grace of God came through and I began to weep. The hour I first believed. The hour I first believed. Let's go to Acts 20, 17 through 27. Acts 17, sorry, Acts 20, 17 through 27. This is, you know, you could say Pentecost is the, the, right, the birth of the church, the foundation. In some ways, you could say Acts, actually, no. Let's skip that. Let's go to Acts, I feel like I shouldn't go there. Let's go to Acts 11, 19 through 26. That's where I wanted to go. I apologize there, Linda. Acts 11, 19. And I'm going to show you here, and you'll see in a second. Well, is the birth of the church Pentecost? Yes. But in some ways, you might say that this was another beginning for the church. Now, those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. So I'm going to pause here for a moment. So news is spreading. A lot of things traveled back to Jerusalem. Okay? Whoa, I almost fell there. Woo! Got to watch where I'm going. Um, 
a lot of things that would happen in the Roman world, the Christian world, would find their way back to Jerusalem. Okay, and that was kind of, in, in, in a lot of ways, where a lot of things came out from Jerusalem, right? That was the holy city for the Jews, and a lot of the first converts were Jews, right? So news is spreading back about this work of Gentiles at Antioch. And, you know, maybe the big shot Peter and some of the big shot apostles were busy with stuff in Jerusalem, so they send this guy named Barnabas. Now, who is Barnabas? Anyone know who Barnabas was? What is Barnabas known for? What was the first thing we hear about Barnabas? I believe it's the first thing. He sold his house and gave the proceeds and dumped them at the apostles' feet. Talk about an overflow of generosity. Barnabas was the one really to see and to to see the grace on Paul's life, the preacher of grace. And so they send Barnabas, and again, when Barnabas goes, you know, to evaluate the work of God, I'm going to use our modern language, how many people were there, right? I'm I'm thinking maybe in a, a modern church sense, and Pastor Rich is smiling over here. How many people, how many people are praying in tongues? How many people tithe? I mean, I want to get a pulse that there's really a work of God. So how many people tithe? How many people pray in tongues? What's the number of people? What does their building budget look like? Right? This is the natural thing, right, in in modern church. But no! It had nothing to do with it. Let's read verse 23. When he came and had seen the grace of God... He was glad and encouraged them all with one purpose of heart. They should continue with the Lord. How was Jerusalem and the apostles and the founders of the church to know that a work was being done in Antioch? What was the litmus test? All those things I mentioned earlier? No, he saw the grace of God. He saw the grace of God. And you know, I've kind of imagined into this, you know, sometimes it's okay not to add to scripture, but to say, Lord, What's a picture? Can I just imagine, right, what, what's going on here? And I think that's okay as long as we don't say it's Scripture. So what I'm going to tell you now is not for say of the Lord, but he saw the grace of God. How was Barnabas received when he got there? How was he loved? What did he see on their face, right? Grace is made for our face. You can just feel when someone's filled with grace because you feel safe in their presence because they're going to love you unconditionally. I believe he saw over-the-top generosity, And again, this is a man who knew that, right? Because of the grace that had come to Barnabas, he sold his house and dumped the proceeds at the apostles' feet. He saw the grace of God in action. And he said, I'm going to encourage you all. This is real. Because I see the grace of God. And, and was there maybe huge tithing and huge numbers and praying in the Spirit and all those things? I'm not talking down on those. But I'm, what did he say? He didn't observe all those little details. He said, I, I, he saw the grace of God. Let's keep going here because this is important. This is leading up to something here. So let's, For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Paul. These people understand grace. You know who's the guy I need to go get? Saul. See, when you're ministering, sometimes you realize, man, I need his gift as well. Because he carries something I don't carry, or in a way I don't. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. The disciples were first called Christians. Little Christs. Christ people. 
It's the Greek. Literally, just Christ people. Almost just, you can just say Christ. They're the Christ ones. Why were they the Christ ones? Because they had an encounter with the grace of God, and the grace of God was active in their lives. That is why you are a Christian. That is the ultimate evidence. Not how great your performance is, or I've been walking with the Lord 60 years, and I've been, you know, thankful for, i thankful for many of you who've been faithful church attenders, but that's not what makes you a Christian. It is truly, fundamentally, and solely the encounter with his unmerited favor and love, that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. And we can't move on from that. We can't forget that. We can't put that on the back burner and try to do ministry and life in our own effort because I try to do that a lot and he always brings me back to his grace. Flat on your face. At the altar. Here or at home, in your heart, right? And saying, Jesus, I need your grace. And sometimes if we're more stubborn and prideful, that takes a little bit. Sometimes he has to kind of get you on your feet or on your knees with a, with a little push, a gentle, loving push. So again, I, I want to just bring us back to the foundation of grace, that our lives, are, this church, your family might be established on grace. Okay? Let's go to Acts 20, 17 through 27. Acts 20, 17 through 27. So again, foundation of grace, we've talked about it's got to be completely grace. We've talked about um, prophecy was all pointing to that direction, the, the grace that was to come to you. We talked about really the birth of Christianity or where they were first called Christians, right? And now this is Paul and the church at Ephesus. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you know, from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I have always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And see now, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Man, talk about a vocation or a ministry or a calling. But none of these things move me, or new, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Yes! Paul, the mighty apostle, the least of the apostles, and that's what he called himself. He didn't count his life dear that he might be faithful in the race to preach the gospel of grace. You see, in the Bible, you have the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it's interchangeable with the gospel of grace. So what is it, the gospel of Jesus Christ or the gospel of grace? Jesus is the grace of God. He is grace manifest. He is grace on the scene. Imagine when they walked with Jesus. They were walking with someone who spoke. Everything he did was unmerited favor. 
Yeah, but when they betrayed him, did that stop? No. If anything, it increased. The worse their sin get, grace abounded. We read that in Romans. Jesus' whole life was that. <laughs> Let's go to verse 20, Acts 20, 32. So he's about to leave them. So as a, as a, a shepherd apostle, how does he entrust them? So now, brethren, I commend you to God and the word of his grace which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. You see, Paul is pouring out to the church of the Ephesians, but then he knows his time of departure is coming, and he's got to go to Jerusalem. But how does he entrust the fold to all my great teaching, to all the finances you have stored up, towards the fact that you've got 10,000 people here, you're going to be good. He says, no, I commend you to God and the word of his grace. Because that word can build you up, give you an inheritance. It's going to do all the work. The grace of God. He could fully entrust the church of Ephesians to the grace of God, the word of his grace. And leave knowing they're in good hands. Because the grace of God is active here. Let's go to Acts 14, 1 through 3. Acts 14, 1 through 3. So again, Paul's whole ministry was summed up in the grace of God. By the way, in that passage, one thing I forgot to share, he says right after that, when he says the grace of God, two verses later, he says, I have not held back the whole counsel of God. I've taught you the whole counsel of God. Meaning, he's unveiled all the ways of God through the Old Testament and all that. But how does he sum all that up? The gospel of grace. The whole counsel of God can be summed up with the grace of Jesus Christ. Let's go to Acts 14, 1 through 3. Again, continuing this foundation of grace. Now it happened in Iconium that they went together in the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, believed. You have Jew and Gentile. And the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds. Let's stop at this verse here, Linda. Their minds against the brethren. What were the unbelieving Jews who weren't believing in Jesus poisoning them with? Does anyone have a guess there? It's pretty simple. The law, the law, going back to the law as a Jew who had just come to Christ is like throwing poison in the stream of grace. No, you need to do this, this, you need to get circumcised, you need to do blah, 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 blah. Yeah, you say you're Christ followers, but you weren't there on Sabbath and blah, 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 blah. It's poison. And let me tell you, today, maybe for most of you, it's not going back to Judaism, but it's some form of poison that maybe you're hearing at your job, you're hearing when you turn on the radio, that you don't measure up until you do this. Until you believe in just this right way. Until you press into the Lord in just the right way. Then the favor of God will flow in your life. Let me tell you here, the worst person in this room and the greatest person in this room when it comes to their faithfulness are both 100% qualified for the grace of God right now. Right now. Right now. Now, read verse 3. This is awesome, especially for a miracle church where we love miracles. I love miracles. Therefore, they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who is bearing witness. This is the Lord bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. And I want to speak to myself as a, I'll, I'll say I don't like labels, but Am I an evangelical or charismatic? I grew up evangelical. If I had to say, if I had to put a label on myself, well, first of all, I'm a Christ follower. 
But for reference, I tell people I'm charismatic. I mean, who here has done that? I, 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 would, I would assume a lot of you, if not most of you, done that. And as a charismatic, one of the things that God's given the Pentecostal church, uh, various vineyard, others, is that miracles are for today. Who believes miracles are for today? Signs and wonders. But I'm going to speak boldly here. Do we then walk out in signs and miracles and wonders and we wonder why they're drying up? Because we no longer walk with a revelation and a dependency on the grace of God. And why is the signs, miracle, wonders to stop, God? We're praying every day. We're pressing in. We're doing this. Is it flowing from his unmerited favor that you could never earn or never deserve? Because none of us here can create a single sign, miracle, or wonder. But God is waiting to pour them out. But he's saying, let me, just make it about my grace. It's not about your ability. Preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and I will bear witness to the message of grace with signs and miracles and wonders. So I know today, I believe by faith and in boldness, his grace is being preached and hearts are open. Signs and miracles will happen, not because of me, but because God wants to bear witness to the word of grace and say, yeah, I really want to show you, my son or daughter, how much it's not about you and it's about me, that you could give me all the glory. Because you know what? You weren't created to take some of that glory. You were created to give me 100%. And if it's about my grace, oh, these signs, miracles, and wonders, you're going to know it's me. You're going to know it's me. See, that's the difference of making signs, miracles, and wonders idolatrous, because as soon as you do, they'll probably dry up. And I speak to a charismatic us who are miracle-believing Yes, God, continue the signs, miracles, and wonders. Raising of the dead, the healing of the sick. Oh, I would love to see that in increase. But even as I say that, is there an ounce of pride as if by my ability, my pressing in, my praying, it's going to be my ability? Or am I depending 100% on the grace poured out to me in Christ Jesus? Is that where it's flowing? And I want to pause here. Because when I talk about this, undoubtedly, here's the argument. I'm sure you've heard it. Are you preaching greasy grace? And I'm going to go at that hard today. I'm going to go at it with some, I got some fire in my belly. My first response, and if you ask me this in three days, I hope I will be true to exactly what I'm telling you. Is this grace greasy? And I will say, first of all, God's love his grace is so greasy. He has enough grease for your marriage. <laughs> he's got enough for your vocation. He's got enough for your ministry. And he's got enough for every different venture in your life. Yes, it's greasy. It can oil everything up. <laughs> Woo! That's my first response. Now, that doesn't settle the score. I know. It's kind of funny, but it's true, right? Let's go to Titus 2.11. So if you are all about God's grace, and, but you want a biblical, well, what about a righteous life? For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Right here is our argument, Jesus is the grace of God. You know how he's the word of God? Pay attention when it says Jesus is literally this thing. He doesn't just manifest it, he is grace. So if you want to understand the word of God, it's not just a bunch of Bible verses. First and foremost, you need to know the word of God is Jesus Christ. Because that will give insight and revelation and open up this book. Same thing, 
grace of God is not a concept or a power somewhere up there. It's Jesus. I'm just really expressing, I believe, the heart of Jesus' ministry and life and why he came is his love as expressed specifically in the graciousness of God. This grace teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us and that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. Wait, I thought you said it wasn't about good works. Not your good works, not your zeal you can muster up. This is a zeal God creates in you by his unmerited favor. And then you want to do good. You want it, you're zealous. You're like, I, I just had an encounter with his love. I mean, I mean Thursday morning, again, I, I feel like I'm, I'm, and I wasn't paid to do this, but Breakthrough Ministry, if, if you haven't been a part of that and you're looking for a re-encounter with his love and some healing, I highly recommend it. But Thursday morning, the Lord met me and I felt his love and I was weeping is my response, now I'm just going to go in my office, shut the door, and stay there. No, it overflowed. I wanted to bless people. And from that point till my head hit the pillow, I had opportunities to love on people. And I was zealous to want to do the good works, not with my own zeal, with the zeal of the Lord. You know, the Old Testament talks about the zeal of the Lord. This is the difference between law-driven people and spirit-filled grace people. Law-driven people have their zeal. Paul had a lot of zeal. But that will always, it's like trying to get airborne with Ferrari. You're never going to get airborne. And you can be the most strong-willed person. I can be very strong-willed and stubborn, but I can't get airborne. Grace makes me fly. Grace makes me fly. Because it's the zeal of the Lord shall accomplish this. The zeal of the Lord. Zeal is fire. I can muster up a pretty good fire, but it'll eventually just fade out and I'll be exhausted. But this morning, I am fueled by the fire of his grace. And now we're going to transition. We talked about the foundation of his grace. But now we're going to talk about the fuel of his grace. The fuel of his grace. So the first component is the unmerited goodness, generosity, and favor of God. The second component is the fuel, which let let me read this. It's not just his unmerited favor. It's the supernatural flow of God's life and power to us and through us. Grace isn't just unmerited favor, it's power. There's a grace of the cross, unmerited favor, but there's a grace of the resurrection. It's the divine influence of his power and love upon our hearts to enable us to do what we could never do in our own ability. So it's not just the beginning that starts with grace. Even your doing. If you want your doing to go to the next level so you can't help but praise God, do it by the grace of God. The fuel of God's grace. You know, yesterday uh, was the first day of spring. And I got to be on the barbecue a lot. I made a lot of hamburgers and hot dogs for Raul, his, my four-year-old son's Fourth birthday, we had a bunch of people over. But before, I did something on Friday. What did I do on Friday to prepare for grilling? Oh, I filled up. I got a brand new propane tank. I exchanged it out, got that full, and I'm like trying to bring it to the car, and I'm just like, see, that propane is the grace, the active grace of God that ignites the burners of your heart. 
You want your burners to never go out? I hear people say, well, I'm in a dark night of the soul. If you are receiving the active grace of God, there are no more dark nights of the soul. I refuse to believe that. But you don't know what I've been through. I'm not saying there isn't attacks and there isn't struggles and there isn't loss. But it's overcoming joy in the midst of your trials. That is the New Testament life. That is the Jesus life he has for us. Didn't Jesus say same? He said in John 6.35, and I'll tell you, I, most of the time I don't believe this verse. I'm confessing. And my hunch is maybe most of you don't. He said, he who comes to me, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me, they'll never hunger. They'll never thirst. If you do feel hungry and thirsty, I do. That's part of the flow of life. So I don't think he's saying you're never going to have hunger. He's just saying there's always a supply. Like, I, I may, my stomach may get hungry, that, and then I, then I eat. And you, in the world we live in, especially here in the United States, food is accessible, right? Our fridges, I bet you most of your fridges are full. Ours is very full right now after a party yesterday, and not all the food was eaten. It's overflowing. Well, as a picture, the fridge of God's love for you and power for you is always overflowing. But do we avail ourselves? If we don't, then yeah, you'll lead a hungry life and feel like you're in the dark night of the soul, and then you're always burning out. But do you avail yourself? So we talk about the presence, right? And I love that. This morning it was like Tim paused, you know, Pastor Tim paused a little longer, and I needed that. Anyone else need that extra when we often do that? Not every Sunday, but a lot of times. It's because I know if I go up there, I want to receive a little more of your grace, which flows through his presence. So is it his presence or his grace? Don't see those as separate things. Same thing. You can't, the presence of God cannot be experienced apart from the grace of God. But the grace of God isn't just a power, it's Jesus' very life. Because Jesus is the grace of God, according to Titus 2.11. Okay, fuel of God's grace. Um, let's go to Acts 20. No, let's not skip that. I already went over that. <laughs> Woo, help me, Lord. Second uh, Peter 3.18. How do we grow in the Lord? I've been hearing this since I was young, and I've been asking, how do I grow in the Lord? How do I grow in the Lord? And this isn't the only passage. I can show you that there's one growth plan in the New Testament. And Peter, these are the last words of Peter that we know of. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forevermore. The great apostle Peter, this is his benediction to the church. How do we grow? We only grow in grace. So if you're wondering, I want to grow as a Christian, I want to walk in more miracles, I want to be a better father, a better husband, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this. Great aspiration. God put that in you. Now grow in grace. But I don't know if you're like me, sometimes that messes my mind. Well, grow in receiving his unmerited favor and realizing I can't do a thing. Yes. Because that's when the propane tank gets turned on and the burners get going. Okay, and now let's go to an important verse here. 1 Corinthians 15, 9 through 11. 1 Corinthians 15, 9 through 11. For the early church, again, one of my favorite, the Apostle Paul. Why? Well, one of the things, I like to, I like to work and I like to work hard. You know, I just came out of six years in Verizon, and Verizon, I have some friends here from Verizon, they keep you working a little bit. Do you have to work hard to succeed at Verizon at all? No, not at all, right? Not at all, right? 
yeah, you can work yourself to your burnout there. But the times where I experience the most blessing at Verizon, checks and business coming to me beyond is when I was operating in grace. And Paul gives us the secret here. For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted, a.k.a. killed the church of God, but by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than all of you. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Yeah! What was his turbo engine? It was, it was grace. I am what I am by the grace of God. And it almost sounds like arrogance here, but I believe Paul often sounds arrogant because he was speaking such utter truth. Such bold truth that we're not used to because maybe we're still a little unhealthy and need to grow and mature. But this is scripture here. Is he being arrogant? He says, I labored more abundantly than all. Is he speaking the truth there or is he just kind of giving his opinion? It's the truth. As he observed the life of the other apostles, he's saying, I think we need to listen up. Because he's not speaking in arrogance, but he's speaking truth. Yet not I, the grace of God. He's saying it was me, but it wasn't me. Because there's two different yous. There's one that is ruled by the law of sin and death, which really died on the cross 2,000 years ago, that we try to dig up and try to work, 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 dig, 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 dig. Not I, that I, Paul is saying, but I, the I, this I. Oh, I need your grace today. I know you want to save people, but I can't save anyone. I know you want to do miracles. I can't do a single miracle, but you can, God. Would you fill me right now with your presence and your grace? Would you fill me? I love Heidi Baker. I just looked at you, TJ, and I'm reminded of her. Heidi Baker preaches 90%, it seems, on her knees. And he could testify. He told me a little bit, and I want to hear more about her because she's been a hero of the faith for me. She says, lower and slower, lower and slower. As her ministry got bigger and more people got raised from the dead, the Lord told her to go lower, 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 lower. Some of the greatest miracles in the whole church are happening out of Iris ministry. They're really pioneering, and I'm not saying there are other, not other great ministries. But pastors, you know, with nothing, with diseases in Africa, are getting encountered by the grace of God. Some of them are getting, I've heard stories of them getting persecuted and literally dying and then God raising them from the dead and then they go back and preach. And TJ's shaking his head. Where is all that flowing? From people who have it all right and they pray more than others and they, you know, they, they attend church more, their tithing is bigger, they got all their ducks in a row. No, it's not just one, but many broken, broken people who realize, by broken I mean they're broken, realizing I can't do it in my own strength. I need an encounter with your love. And they're just sitting at the feet of Jesus. Lower and slower, lower and slower, lower and slower. Awesome, well, I'm cutting all that out. Thank you, Jesus. Help me, to land the plane, right? We talked about 
the foundation of his grace. I like points because it helps me remember. I want you to remember this. Why? Because I want you to remember my words. No, I want you to be, have something that can edify you in the days to come and the weeks to come. Never forget the foundation of his grace. But then remember, it's not just the foundation and I need to go back to that foundation. It's also the fuel for life. The foundation and the fuel. And now we're going to end with the future of God's grace. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. His grace has brought me safe thus far, and his grace will lead me home. How are you going to go home? And to what home are you going? Well, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we know less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Why are we praising him? Because we're overflowing with his grace. He's going to give you reason for all of eternity. And in 10 billion years, you still will have not exhausted the grace of God. You know, people say, what's heaven going to be like? If they were to ask me that, I'll say, well, read Revelation 21 and 22. That's start there, right? But I want to correct myself. You know, people ask, is, is your animals going to be there and all that? People have written books on it. Pastor Rich, I didn't get to be a part of it, taught an amazing class on that from what I heard from others. It was awesome. But you know what? I got, I got, two, ver I got two verses for you, how I would sum up. Where, where's the ship headed? Where are we all headed? Obviously heaven, but what does that mean? Let's go to Ephesians 2, 6, and 7. These are the last scriptures here. Ephesians 2, 6, and 7. And again, this is the church of Ephesus. This is the one that Paul taught the gospel of grace. In Ephesians 2, 6, and 7. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why did he do this? Verse 7. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Woo! I know your future. Can I prophesy? Endless re revelation of his grace and his kindness poured out in Christ Jesus. And that's why it's going to be like, holy, 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 blessing and honor and glory. I, everything I can account as a crown, I throw at your feet because you're so good and you're so loving. And your love, the depths of your love can never be tapped. I can never explore. And for all of eternity, we're going to attempt. We're not going to attempt. He's going to do all that. We're going to be undone by love. And I believe that heaven is not static. It'll be a progressive. I've heard of, of one or two testimonies. And this one guy, was I think it was in a helicopter accident, dead for 15 minutes, burned completely. And he said, he came back, he says, I was in heaven. What was it like? Revelation after revelation after revelation after revelation after revelation after revelation. That in the ages to come, he might show or reveal more and more and more and more of his extravagant, ridiculous, reckless, raging love for you that you don't deserve or can never earn. That's why we're always going to be aware of that for all eternity because the throwing of the crowns, we're going to see the scars. We're going to remember the cross. Are we going to be death-focused? No, but we're going to be love-focused as it pertained to his death as the lamb. We're going to be, yeah, we're going to be conscious of that death, no other death because that death is love. And the lion, the resurrection, right? He's both the lion and the lamb. And I want the prayer team to come up. 
And I really, as I'm landing the plane here, as God is landing the plane, I want the prayer team to come up. And I would encourage you, I don't want to overtax the prayer team, but I feel like there's a lot of people here, your heart's just open and you're encouraged, but you're saying, man, I, I feel like I'm on the brink, you know, of, of burnout. You know, as Bilbo Baggins would say, I feel like butter spread across too much bread. I know I'm quoting Bilbo, but hey, it was a good quote. Um, you know, yesterday was the spring equinox. You feel like you're here and you feel like your propane tank is empty. You're running on fumes. You know, in the second chapter of Revelation, Jesus confronts the church of Ephesus and he says, you're working hard, you're laboring, you're doing all the right stuff, you hate what I hate, but you have forsaken your first love. Well, what was the church of Ephesus' first love? We know from Acts and from Ephesus, they were undone by the grace of God. They couldn't love until they first were loved by him. I don't believe that's okay, now try to love him more. Because you can make that a law, right? They had forsaken what fueled the passions of first love, the continual priority of being undone by the extravagant grace of God. And I just want to declare this morning, I want to pray for you guys and then that you can come up for the prayer team or leave or, you know, fellowship outside. I just pray for a springtime renewal of the grace of God. If you're like Matthew, I'm encouraged, but I want more of that. I want that encounter with his love. I want to pray for a springtime renewal. I remember when I first came to Christ at 13, one of the songs that God put on my heart that I learned when I was little was Pass It On. I, I, my hunch is maybe 10 people here know it, but if there's more, I'd be surprised. But it only takes a spark to get a fire going. And soon all those around can warm up in its glowing. That's how it is with God's love. Once you've experienced it, you spread his love to everyone you want to pass it on. What a wondrous time is spring when all the trees are budding. The birds begin to sing. The flowers start their blooming. That's how it is with God's love. Once you've experienced it, you want to sing. It's fresh like spring. You want to pass it on. I wish for you, my friend, this happiness that I found because you can depend on him no matter where you're bound. I'll shout it from the mountaintop. I want my world to know the Lord of love has come to me and I want to pass it on. So if you guys want to stand, I just want to pray and then you can come up. The prayer team will be here. We have amazing prayer warriors this morning. And again, just receive here. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for the grace, Father, that you poured out in Jesus Christ. And Jesus, we just say thank you for never holding anything back. Thank you that when we're at our worst and we're yelling and, and, and sinning and, and, and being defiant, it's then that you want to pour out your grace. And Father, I just pray to the burnt out, those with empty propane tanks this morning. I pray for a springtime renewal of your love. I pray that the flowers would blossom, the trees would bud, and they'd begin to sing again like they first did when they came to you. So Father, right now, I just pray for a renewal of hearts 
Father, I know you want an eternal springtime for each of us. But sometimes we get in the way and we get prideful and we, we, we do it in our own strength and we tire ourselves out. So God, we confess. We confess our pride. We confess our pride. So Father, would you humble us and help us like children to receive your love? Thank you, Father, for filling each one with your love. And I thank you that today and in the days to come, I just declare by your power, encounters with your grace. Encounters with your grace in their marriage, their family, their finance, their ministry, their job. Because God, I thank you as a brother spoke over me, you want to invade every room of our life with your presence and your grace. So I pray, Father, for a holy invasion by your power of every nook and cranny so that your grace is overflowing no matter where they're at, what they're doing. They feel your grace bubbling up and they can't contain it. They can't contain it. And your love is that good. Your love is never ending. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen.